KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, October 18th. The racial disparities in enforcing jaywalking laws. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. An outbreak of shigalosis among homeless residents sent at least seven people to the hospital last week. Dr. Victor Nise is a professor of pediatrics and pharmacy at UC San Diego. He says the foodborne illness is very contagious, but for most people, the symptoms are mild. Some diarrhea, maybe low-grade fever, abdominal cramping, and actually it self-resolves on its own. Fatalities are extremely uh, rare. No deaths have been reported, and those hospitalized are expected to make a full recovery. Over the past three months, retail sales have increased 10 to 12 percent each month across the country. That's great for retailers, but the global supply chain has not been able to keep up. The Port of Los Angeles is now working around the clock to try and deal with a huge increase in shipping. Miro Kopik is a business analyst for KPBS. He says recent labor shortages have contributed to the huge delays. Container ships are waiting to load stuff that hasn't been produced. So that presents a delay. Now when you're shipping this stuff and there's all this demand and this congestion at the Port of Los Angeles, that means that instead of four to six weeks, it's taking eight to 12 weeks. Vice President Kamala Harris will visit Lake Mead in Nevada today to highlight the problems caused by the western drought. She'll meet with federal and state officials at the largest man-made reservoir in the U.S. in an effort to promote the Biden administration's infrastructure and climate change proposals that have stalled in Congress. Water levels at Lake Mead have fallen to record lows in recent years. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Earlier this month, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would have decriminalized jaywalking when there's no cars around. The bill was aimed at tackling racial disparities in how jaywalking laws are enforced. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen looks at how those disparities exist in San Diego. Wait. We've all done it. You're trying to cross the street, but the light is taking forever. Or maybe the nearest crosswalk is an absurdly long detour. No cars are around, so you look both ways and jaywalk. Most of the time, it's harmless. And most of the time, getting a ticket for jaywalking isn't a big concern. That's not how things played out for Robert Don Moyer. Well, I think it was, I think it was May 3rd. Uh, I was coming back from the dentist. It was midday, and I um, walked across the street here. Don Moyer says he wasn't jaywalking. He was in the crosswalk and says he made it to the other side of Robinson Avenue in Hillcrest before the red hand signal went from flashing to solid. But a San Diego police officer says he was jaywalking and wrote him a ticket. 
She told him police were stepping up jaywalking enforcement because of a rise in pedestrian collisions. I didn't want to debate it, but I said, gee, I, I, I haven't seen much of that, particularly in the daytime here. Uh, I, I have seen lots of people blatantly running red lights, and I've almost been hit on a number of occasions by people blatantly running red lights when I had the right to cross, and I've learned to be very, very cautious. Don Moyer plans on contesting his ticket in a trial next year. Bogus or not, his jaywalking ticket was one of more than 5,000 given to pedestrians in San Diego since 2015. And those tickets disproportionately targeted black people. 16% of the tickets went to blacks, even though they make up only 6% of the city's population. Similar racial disparities exist in cities across California. Black people are disproportionately affected by almost every type of criminalization. Anne Rios is an attorney and executive director of Uprise Theater a nonprofit that educates people on their legal rights. She says the disparities are proof of racial bias among San Diego police officers. Black people are also overrepresented in the homeless community, which she says is a frequent target of jaywalking tickets. And blacks are more likely to live in neighborhoods that lack safe and abundant crosswalks. So when you're dealing with a landscape that doesn't have safe areas for you to cross the street anyway, jaywalking is going to become acceptable or the norm. The true issue is that the community doesn't have the appropriate support for, for pedestrian travel. Racial justice activists like Rios have been trying to decriminalize jaywalking in California for years. They say jaywalking laws only punish behavior that's usually logical and safe. But the latest effort at decriminalization failed this month with Governor Gavin Newsom's veto of AB 1238. That bill would have legalized jaywalking as long as there's no oncoming traffic. It was opposed by law enforcement groups, who said it would encourage unsafe pedestrian behavior, and the California Coalition for Children's Safety and Health. Here's that group's program director, Steve Barrow, speaking at a Senate committee hearing in June. We need children growing up understanding how to appropriately get through our really busy streets, and that is ad adhering to red lights, crossing at the crosswalks, not jaywalking, and uh, paying attention to all the pedestrian traffic safety laws. Robert Don Moyer, who's white and works as a university professor, acknowledges he has privileges that others who get jaywalking tickets probably don't have. He can take time off work to fight his ticket in court, and he knew to look up the exact California vehicle code violation to see if it matches what really happened. He's ambivalent about whether jaywalking should be legalized, but he doesn't think tickets and fines are an effective way to protect pedestrians. You know, I couldn't help but wonder, were they trying to uh, beef up revenue? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean, I'm not accusing because I don't really know, but it was certainly a thought that crossed my mind, particularly when I saw the amount of the, of the ticket. That amount he'll have to pay if he loses in court, $197. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. The White House says fully vaccinated foreign travelers can enter the U.S. starting November 8th. It's a date many cities along the U.S.-Mexico border have been waiting for. KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell has more from a business in San Isidro who's doubtful about the news. The new guidelines announced by the White House apply to both international air travel and land travel. It's news local businesses and families who have been separated by border restrictions have been hoping to hear for almost two years now. 
Rosa Maria Gilgi, a retail manager down the block from the San Isidro port of entry, isn't too sure the White House will follow through with the November 8th promise. She says, let's hope they do start letting people in because business is dying. We spoke to other businesses in San Isidro who think the same. They're questioning if it actually will happen. They also have concerns about what vaccines will be accepted by the U.S. She says some vaccines given in Mexico might not be accepted in the U.S. According to a White House official, vaccines authorized by the FDA or have an emergency use listed from the World Health Organization will be allowed. It's still unclear how the U.S. will treat people who have mixed shots. The White House says more details are still to come. In the meantime, Gilgi says they're starting to prepare for November 8th and will have the store fully stocked just in case they see an influx of customers. She also says some of their employees will get called back to work since many of them were laid off. She says former workers call daily to ask if business is picking up so they can come back to work. The San Isidro Chamber of Commerce estimates 250 businesses have shut down since the border closed to non-essential travel last year. They're hoping to recuperate money lost this coming holiday season. And that was KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell. UC San Diego has a record 42,000 students on campus this quarter. That's significantly more compared to a decade ago. KPBS's Melissa May spoke with some UCSD students about how life is on campus. UC San Diego has increased its student body by over 2,300 students from last fall. The increase has created some challenges for students like Alexis Damien, who commutes from the South Bay. It's difficult to find parking, so uh, I just get dropped off. Freshman Anna Norris says grabbing a bite to eat is another challenge. So all the dining halls close at 8, so if you didn't order food by 6, you were not getting dinner from the dining halls because of how long the wait times were. Senior Rain Ying Fong says she's found resources are limited. I has to like spend too much time on waiting, waiting everything, like waiting for a spot, like uh, waiting for getting enrolled in a class. The university does offer some help for students, like free bus passes to help commuters and free Grubhub memberships. More than 12,200 undergrad students live on campus. As of October 13th, only 72 upper division undergrads are on the wait list for housing. And that was KPBS's Melissa May. The Scripps Institution of Oceanography won a major grant to help complete their Marine Conservation and Technology Building. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. Scripps officials say the structure will be the northern gateway to the Scripps campus when it opens next year. A $6 million gift from the Scripps family will help fund completion of the 24,000-square-foot structure. The facility will house classrooms, labs, and a basement devoted almost entirely to a seawater research aquarium. Scripps Vice Chancellor Margaret Leinen says the seawater lab is key to understanding the changing ocean. Apply that to helping us uh, address conservation problems like sustainable fisheries, like resilience for corals, uh, like the the, uh, understanding the biodiversity of the ocean. The building should be finished in the spring. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. 
Coming up, California Congressman Adam Schiff believes the rampant claims of election fraud are a fundamental attack on our democracy, and it's a problem that no one person can solve. But we can all make a difference in our own little world, um, in our public life, in our civic life, our corporate life at a time when the country really needs us to defend its democracy. We'll hear from Schiff himself about it next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. California Congressman Adam Schiff became a national figure during the impeachment inquiry into former President Donald Trump. As the lead House manager during the first trial, he spoke often about his fears that our democracy is being eroded. Recently, he talked with CAP Radio's Vicky Gonzalez about that very topic. Here's that interview. We don't even have Republican leaders in Congress willing to acknowledge that the last election was free and fair. They're still pushing the president's big lie. Sixty percent of Republicans in California still believe that the recall election was rigged because they lost. And if one major party is pushing out this falsehood that you can't rely on elections anymore, that the only way they can lose is if there's fraud, then people will no longer trust that elections can decide who should represent them. And that that just leads to violence. And so the, the predominant danger we face right now comes from within. Uh, it, it really requires all of us to be engaged politically. And uh, we, we can't all be you know, like Marie Ivanovich, first through the breach and showing the way and standing up to the most powerful man in the world. But we can all make a difference in our own little world, um, in our public life, in our civic life, our corporate life, uh, at a time when the country really needs us to defend its democracy. Well, given that you are an elected official here in California, how does representing California shape how you approach democracy and national politics? Well, I, I'm you know very fortunate that I have constituents who are passionate as I am about this cherished legacy that we have, um, and and the whole notion that we continue to strive to make the country a more perfect union. Um, but I, I, for that reason, I'm I'm all the more admiring of some of my colleagues um, who come from different places in the country, uh, who have the courage to, to stand up sometimes against their own colleagues and party uh, on the January 6th Select Committee. You know, proud to serve with, with people like Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, uh, who are willing to speak the truth about, about the country and its election and about the, the threat posed by this flirtation within the GOP towards autocracy. Um, so uh, there, there are some, you know, great... Uh, and courageous people out there that are, I think, showing the way. Um, and and I'm just very grateful to my constituents for always having my back. Well, on the topic of California and in particular state politics, I mean, very close in our rearview mirror, Governor Newsom just survived the recall. But really, despite his victory, there are a lot of Californians who aren't satisfied with his response and personal choices during the pandemic. Is California a microcosm of the country? And, and if so, how do we move forward as a state and re- rebuild unity? Well, I, you know, I think California is a microcosm in certain ways of the country. In other ways, it's a very progressive um, but in, in terms of the pandemic response, 
uh, I think California does show the way uh, that we need to take this uh, pandemic seriously, as the governor has, uh, that we need to use science to drive our decision making. Um, you know, it, it's just so distressing that uh, the uh, number of people who are hesitant to get the vaccine uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, sometimes very political reasons, uh, sometimes terrible, uh, misleading guidance from uh, some of the GOP leadership, including the former president, uh, means that the country can't move past this pandemic. That was California Congressman Adam Schiff speaking with Cap Radio's Vicki Gonzalez. Congressman Schiff has a new book out called Midnight in Washington, How We Almost Lost Our Democracy and Still Could. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.